talk about dulcet tones, you're talking about Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. And when you're talking about Invective Ridden and Aaron Laden podcasts, you're talking about Fangraphs Audio. Well, I'm Carson Sestouli, your host for this pod and also a contributor to Fangraphs. In what follows, we offer you Playoff Preview Pod number two, featuring, in addition to a review of the respective divisional series, also a preview of the championship series. On this pod, you can almost definitely expect to hear the learned opinions of our full-time employee Dave Cameron, our resident philosopher Matt Clausen, and our man in NYC, Joe Polakowski. Listen as I confront Dave Cameron about his divisional series picks, Minnesota and Cincinnati. Find out from Joe Paul just how confident Yankee fans are and attempt to convince Matt Clausen multiple times that he's a really good guy. All that pathos and much, much more on this White Hot Edition of Fangraphs Audio. If I've done my job correctly in the introduction, you know that this is, in fact, another White Hot Edition of Fangraphs Audio, or at least what hopes to be a White Hot Edition. Uh, you may or may not know as well that we have three guests on this particular edition of the pod. Uh, those guests are um, in order of, let's see, most curmudgeonly. Let's see if that works uh, first and uh, foremost on that particular list. Uh, from the American South, our full-time employee, Dave Cameron. Yeah, I, I think he should have gone to Clausen first on this one. In terms of most curmudgeonly? Oh, man, have you followed his Twitter feed? I don't think you've ever said anything that's not 100% a snark. Well, let's try it out. Matt Clausen, uh, from joining us from the frozen north. Matt, uh, do you think that uh, you're the most curmudgeonly on this particular edition of the pod? If I was the most curmudgeonly, would I still, would I have stubbornly, uh, I mean, obviously I am. That's why I stubbornly insisted Minnesota was the best team in the league, despite all the projections and despite all the evidence, despite the fact they got easily swept out of the playoffs yet again. Oh, wait, that wasn't me. That wasn't you. But that is no, there. Apparently, I'm the only one who knows what curmudgeonly means. I don't think curmudgeonly has anything to do with getting correction, uh, predictions correct, is it? No, I think it's about no, it has, grouchy. Yeah. And, it's, I, and stubborn. I think it actually might be. Uh, directly correlated to age, too. Uh, I think that's the thing that happens. And Clausen, you have years on all of us. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. going for irony with the uh, thingy there. Right. The thingy. Yeah, and then uh, finally, I don't know I don't know if he, uh, how curmudgeonly he is at all, or actually how old he is. Um, but uh, he, but he's still here, and, and that's there's no problem with that. His name is Joe Polakowski, joining us from the big, big city. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm happy to be the least curmudgeonly and the youngest on this uh, particular podcast. Yeah, you're both. And um, and you're also a Yankees fan. Maybe it's hard to be curmudgeonly at this point, uh, being a Yankees supporter. Are you kidding me? I No, I'm not. I would never kid you, Joe Paul. Oh, we have the curmudgeonliest of the curmudgeonly fans. Is that right? Oh, yes. Okay. All right, I mean, well, the, 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 the twin series was standing. Um, I mean, if you had talked to a Yankees fan in September... All right. Well, that's fine. It's just the rich getting richer. That's all it is. Uh, so let's talk about. Uh, let's start off. We've, we of course did a pod before the uh, playoffs began, and uh, now we're we're at a situation on uh, you know Wednesday, October thirteenth, two thousand ten, the year of our Lord, when the uh, first round of the playoffs, um, all of the first rounds respectively, are over. So we have a chance to look at those. We'll also use this pod as a chance to look forward. Uh, the you know, as far as this pod goes, the discussion we had last time, a couple things have happened through the first round of the divisional series that um, 
are significant as far as these participants are concerned. We'll start with Dave Cameron. Dave, uh, two notable choices you probably picked, and obviously you speak always in terms of, of uh, probabilities. You know, I, I have no, uh, um, I don't desire to criticize you on that means, but maybe you're disappointed. Maybe it feels like the bad guys are winning as New York uh, crushes Minnesota and Philadelphia does the same to Cincinnati, two picks that I think you at least felt somewhat strongly about. Maybe you thought 50% chance for Minnesota, Cincinnati at least. Uh, reactions, and maybe, uh, you know, why did it happen insofar as we're able to tell on a game-by-game level? Oh, I, I think it happened because uh, God is trying to make me miserable this year between the whole 6-4 new thing, and then, you know, he's like, oh, good, another chance to make him look stupid. So <laughs> I think this is some kind of divine humbling on my part or something. I don't know. Uh, you know, I think the Red Series... I'm actually a little bit encouraged, but even though you know the Reds obviously got slapped in. Uh, but if you look at it, I mean, the Phillies had a 576 team OPS in that series. It's not like they came and just beat the brains out of the Reds. And I think a lot of the points I made about you know the Reds being able to go to their bullpen early and their bullpen being able to shut down that Phillies lineup proved to be true. They just didn't hit the ball. Roy Halladay and Cole Hamels pitched amazing. And so you know I think in some senses the points that I made. Uh, stood up in, in some ways, even if the results didn't match up. The Twins just played terrible baseball on the Yankees steamrolled them. So, you know, maybe there's just something to the fact that, uh, uh, the Twins aren't as good as they look on paper. I don't know. Uh, on paper, they're a really good team. They just are terrible when they get to playoffs, and I don't know if anyone knows why. Well, now some people I saw, I don't know if it was idle or if it was any sort of research done about it, but, um, I saw some um, chatter on the, the Twitter uh, feeds. That maybe the sort of pitcher who is, uh, I guess, low strikeout, low walk, and you know, therefore uh, high contact, is there a possibility that that kind of pitcher doesn't work in the playoffs? Well, I mean, there's been arguments about that, and then you like watch Roy Halladay and Chris Lee and some of these like uber strike throwers just absolutely killing it. And you're like, well, maybe that's not true. I think people like to come up with theories like that to explain stuff after it happens. But, you know, I mean, Greg Maddox is really good in the postseason. Oh, we got, you know, tons of examples. Mark Burley has had a really good postseason track record. There's tons of guys we can point to who have been, you know, command guys who pitched to contact and have done really, really well in the playoffs. And so, uh, you know, I think that's kind of a, a post-hoc explanation for why the Twins keep failing. Oh, post-hoc, huh? Yeah, post-hoc, yeah. Yeah, we're going post-hoc explanations. Listen, uh, Matt Clausen. I know that you're, uh, you have uh, dabbled in philosophy um, and uh, some theology as well. Uh, Dave Cameron brought up the point that maybe he's being humbled uh, humbled by God, uh, maybe a, a Job-like lesson, uh, although maybe not to the same extent. I don't know if, if uh, any um, plagues uh, have been brought upon Dave Cameron, but is, it, is, this, uh, is this fate trying to humble Dave Cameron or, or Minnesota and Cincinnati just not prepared for their respective series? Well, it can't be Job-like, right? Because Job was a righteous man. (laughs) Sorry, Dave. No, uh, all jokes aside, uh, I promised myself I wasn't going to say uh so much this time, and I'm already off to a horrible start. I I was thinking about this beforehand. The truth is, if Dave thinks, uh, rightly or wrongly, if Dave thought that Minnesota was the better team going in, uh, in in that series, then uh, those three games shouldn't change his mind, right? I mean, it's three games. I think, I, I thought, and I think there's good evidence, and obviously Dave and I disagreed on this, that the Yankees uh, were clearly superior to Minnesota. And if they lost by the same scores, I still think they were the better team. I still think the 2003 Yankees are better than the 2003 Marlins. The 2003 Marlins were the world champs. Uh, those, that small number of games doesn't prove anything, and you know we don't, I don't need to beat that into the ground. 
in the Cincinnati case, I think Dave makes a good point that uh, too that a lot of his uh, hate to be boring and disagree and agree. Uh, but you could, uh, you could be. The, I mean, you're always boring whether you're agreeing. Yeah, thanks. Agreeing, so don't worry. <laughs> uh, but with the, 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 that uh, there I go again. The, the, the Reds did shut it down. I mean, I think in the, and, and of course, game two was so bizarre with just the wild the the hit by pitch thing, the the bizarre defensive uh, lapses on Cincinnati's part. We're back to, to Minnesota and the Yankees. All the stuff about well, they just they just blow it in the playoffs, blah blah blah. They play the Yankees every year, and the Yankees are almost uh, almost every year in the in the playoffs, and the Yankees are uh, always better. I mean, that's just the way it is. There's nothing much you can do about it. Uh, Tommy, I don't understand why Tommy was hitting sixth in game three. But do you, and but Keeble do you, was hitting fourth, but whatever. I don't think that makes that big of a difference. But Andy Pettit and uh, Phil Hughes pitched out of their uh, – I mean, they're not as good as they pitched in their respective games. It, well, yeah, and Jim, but Jim Tomei isn't a, a 437 Woba hitter either, which is what he – I see he hit something like either 420 or 430 uh, in in the regular season. He's not that good either. That's just that's just the way it goes. Right. I mean, I don't think – I don't think uh, – I mean, I agree. You know, Roy Halladay's awesome. I don't think he's a his, he's a true talent 2.9 uh, FIP or ERA pitcher. I don't think anybody, any starter is, but uh, that's just the way it goes. Okay. Joe, Joe Paul, obviously you, you write a lot from the Yankees' perspective and, you know, both as an analyst and a fan – were you, as a Yankees fan, were you nervous at all about the Twins? You know, there was, I mean, it was pretty clearly that, pretty clear they put together a good team. Uh, you know, maybe some of uh, Justin Morneau's production from the, uh, you know, up through July or whatever was informing their end of season numbers, and um, it's unlikely that Morneau even would have put up those numbers had he continued. Were you nervous about them, or, or does this all make sense? I, I was nervous only in the sense because of the because of the emotional investment in the team. You know, you're always gonna be nervous when you we have a horse in the race and they're going up against you know a team that a lot of people are saying, oh, don't don't count this team out. They have a lot of weapons. Uh, you know, we, Francisco Liriano obviously is gonna scare you uh, in any playoff game or any game in general. And then Carl Pavano has this history of dominating the Yankees since he was you know run out of town. So maybe it was you know it was an irrational fear, but. It, it, it was definitely there was definitely a little bit of nervousness heading into the series, and you know the game one after they won game one that all completely went away. What about it? Was it just like, oh yeah, the Yankees are better, and we, now I know that? No, it was just it, it kind of said, hey, wait a minute, you know they won this game, they struggled in this game, and they still came out on top. Um, it wasn't like it, it, it. You have to to understand this. You really have to understand the mindset of a Yankees fan, which is no, not. I easy don't want to do that because they're freaking it, unpredictably insane. Uh, it's. It was about you know September was such a bad month for the team. They left men on you know in the Texas series. I think they went. They put like forty men in scoring position. Forty at bats of men in scoring position, uh, or something close to that. And they you know got like five hits. Uh, yeah, so but, but isn't that actually a good up. thing? I mean, because the chances. No, it is a good thing. No, I, I was yeah. trying to tell everyone that that's a good thing. But still, when you're watching the game and you're sitting in front of it, and you're not. You don't have the analyst hat on. Um, you're, you're coming at it from a different perspective. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the game, the Yanks weren't scoring with runners in scoring position, but once they started doing that, it was just, you know, weight off the shoulders. I feel a lot better about this series. Right, because the chances of them being able to repeat the skill of getting on base is much greater than them, uh, you know, not, I mean, than repeating not hitting with men on base. I mean, that's right, right? I mean, you, but you, you know, you see it going on for a month long and you keep telling people this and they're trying to call you a snake oil salesman because, oh, look at the results, look at the results. But, yeah. you know, it, it's tough to keep in your mind when they're actually failing that, 
this is in the long run a good thing. Were the people accusing you of being a snake oil salesman? Or were they born in the fifties and before? Because <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone, except maybe someone Clausen's age, make that reference. <laughs> no, I just like the term snake oil. I just like the like, like the term. It, okay. It, uh, and then Cincinnati, Philadelphia, that surprised you at all? Oh no! I mean, I I thought Cincinnati would put a bit more of a fight, uh, but I think it, it was pretty clear that that Philly was the superior team. Okay, so let's go to this. Uh, we'll call it, we'll go we'll go back through uh, starting with you, Polakowski. The other two series, were there any particular surprises for you in those series? Uh, you know, Atlanta, um, San Francisco, and then uh, Texas, Tampa Bay. Well, as I wrote yesterday, um, there wasn't much of a surprise that uh, the, the Braves failed to score runs. And uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to publicly disagree with Rob Nyer's assessment of the series, where he said that because the Braves lost, you know, because every game was within one within one run, you know, luck played a bigger factor than the talent on the field. And the Braves were a completely depleted lineup. Uh, you know, they were missing two star, two of their best starters. Uh, a lot, you know, a lot of the guys were were mired in slumps. You know, the talent on the field was clearly more of a factor than luck. Um, you know, in the Brave series, uh, and then in the Tampa Bay series. What really surprised me was the you know the the way that uh, ta- you know Texas came in and won both games at home. Uh, I had definitely thought more of a split kind of situation with that with the first two games in Tampa. Okay, uh, Clausen, the, the the San Francisco and the the Texas series. Any any surprises there? Overall, the surprise for me was that. I enjoyed San Francisco and Atlanta so much, partly because I was covering it for fan graphs, so I, pay, I don't pay tons of attention to those two teams. Although, as a Royals fan, of course, I have to pay very close attention to, the, to, to, to Atlanta's waiver wire. To find out um, who, will, who will be on the yeah. Royals soon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I look forward to, uh, as I tweeted the other day, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen first uh, uh, in the winter meetings, if the Royals are going to sign Jeff Rancourt or, uh, or trade for uh, Diori Hernandez and his, his plus hands and his plus hands. <laughs> Um, but plus, but, hands, no, but, plus hands sounds a little like uh, a little disgusting to me. Yeah, well, it comes. I don't know if you, you all saw this quote. It was earlier in the season. There was this write up in the Kansas City Star about uh, you know maybe Uni's coming around. Is he really that bad? And uh, Unieski Betancourt, uh, yeah. for those who don't know who Uni is, uh, and, and they quoted an anonymous scout <laughs> who said, "I don't know. When I look at Betancourt, I see a guy with plus hands, good range, strong arm, and plus hands." <laughs> it's just uh, <laughs> tonight I'm going to rock you tonight uh, moment <laughs> from, from the anonymous scout. But anyway, but I was you know I I was looking forward I, those two series. I was looking to Rangers raise more, but but I think San Francisco Atlanta was just compelling. Those two teams were kind of boring. In a sense, because Atlanta's beat up, and I mean, to me, as a, a subjectively, but it was just so. Uh, even though they both, even though Rays Rangers went five games, uh, and I think featured more closely matched teams, uh, given, given the health Atlanta's health issues, uh, just the way that the games played out in Atlanta San Francisco on a subjective level was just really enjoyable. You have, I mean, even Lincecum dominates right in the first game. It's still, you know, San Francisco isn't exactly. Uh, destroying Atlanta's pitching, Atlanta's bullpen, I think, uh, lived up to its billing for the most part during the series, uh, which is great. And, and then the Bobby Cox thing was just icing on the cake. I'm not a huge Bobby Cox fan, but that was, that was, I'll admit it, it was kind of moving, but even without that, it would have been wonderful. Anytime you can have a game winning, uh, uh, a donger from Rick <laughs> and Keel, I think that just, the only thing that would, as I, as I said, the only thing that would have made it better, uh, was if the get that game would have ended on a given all the former Royals involved would have been if it would have ended on a Jose Guillen double play. <laughs> that would have been satisfying for you, or just fitting. Fitting. Yeah. Okay. Hey Cameron, I have a question for you. Uh, 
what was, and there were there were a number of them, but what was the most uh, dominant pitching performance of the the respective divisional series? It was Halliday. I mean, I know Lindstrom got all the strikeouts and 31 swinging strikes, which is crazy. But Roy Halliday, watching that game, you had the feeling that he could have pitched 15 innings and they wouldn't have gotten a hit. I mean, I, I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody hit the corners as well as he was hitting that night. And he got a little bit of help from the umpire, getting a little bit of a wider strike zone than he needed. But I mean, it was just a, the changeup was off the charts. Brian Smith and I just kept going back and forth when he would throw that thing, diving into the dirt and uh, mixing his pitches, keeping hitters off balance. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen a better pitching performance than Roy Halladay through, uh, in the division series. Now, with regard to the strike zone, I've seen a couple articles to this effect. I think it was actually, um, it was actually pretty fair for both sides. It's just the Reds weren't able to take advantage of it. Is that the case? I, I, so here's one of my problems with those kind of post hoc analysis. As I use post hoc twice in the same podcast. Yeah, I know. Is if you watch the game, and you know Brian and uh, and there were a few other guys in there as we're watching the game on TV. Some of those calls that uh, were pretty clearly not strikes showed up very close in the pitch, pitch effects chart, and people take the pitch effects charts as absolute certainty, but they're only correct within about half an inch. These things are not super, super precise where we can say, oh, look, this is clearly right on the line, that was a strike. I mean, half an inch is a, a bit of a big deal, and especially if you can tell on TV, um, you know, I know there's arguments or angles and stuff like that, but there are pitches that you can clearly tell are a ball or a strike, or at least have been a a ball or a strike previously in that same bat or earlier in the game. Watching the game, it was pretty clear that Halliday was getting some calls, so I'm not going to take a pitch of X chart and say, oh, well, what I saw was wrong, because the pitch of X chart is not infallible. Okay. Yeah, but you could look at the pitch of X chart for something like uh, Darren Oliver's appearance against Carl Crawford and say, uh, what are you smoking, ump? That was clearly out of the zone. I mean, you could have, I mean, you could have had a two-inch margin for error on those, and they still would have been out of the zone. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not invalidating the pitch of X chart as a tool. I'm invalidating it for people saying, oh, well, Halliday didn't get any help. I mean, I think if you watch the game, uh, you know, as we were watching the game, it was pretty unanimous that Halliday was getting a lot of help. And so for somebody just to pull out a chart afterwards and be like, no, 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 he didn't, uh, you know, when the margin of error is there, I, I think that's a disingenuous use of the tool. So you think that- All right, well, Carson, if you don't mind, I wanted to follow up with Dave on this because uh, a game I had a rooting interest in had an issue like this. Um, Hunter Wendelstadt in the uh, in Game Two of the Yankees Twin Series, um, even on a normalized um, in the normalized strike zone, you could see he was clear like the tr- it was a trend rather than a couple of pitches. And, you know, we're not talking about uh, pitches that were you know off the off the plate here and off the plate there by a certain amount of inches. It was there were balls that hit um, that he was giving strikes to Carl Pavano, and it looked like Andy Pettit went there earlier in the game and wasn't getting those calls, so he kind of abandoned it later. Do you think PitchFX is a uh, is a good tool to analyze that kind of uh, umpire calling as far as trends go? I think it can be. I mean, I think there's definitely um, certain pitchers who get calls and other pitchers don't get. I think we've seen that all throughout the playoffs where Cliff Lee probably had a little bit better of a strike zone uh, to pitch to last night on a few of those calls or a little bit generous. Um, but I think, you know, that's kind of one of those things with umpires is we know they do this. The guys who are strike throwers, they give them a little bit bigger of a zone. This isn't news necessarily. And so I think it's okay to use the tool and say uh, on clear ones where, you know, it's an inch or two outside, let's just say this is what it is. But I think what I saw is people taking pitches that were right on the border and saying, well, clearly he made the right call, and we don't actually know based on the margin of error of the tool whether it was the right call or not. Okay. Yeah, but how? So here's the thing. How many swinging strikes would a guy have to get? We said Linsing about 31. 
I mean, how many swinging strikes does a guy have to get to beat Roy Halladay or to, to create a performance that's better than Halladay's was? Uh, against that Braves lineup? Uh, I think they took 55 swings, so 54 swinging strikes would have done it. <laughs> you know, honestly, I think that uh, Cliff Lee's performance last night was better than uh, than Linscombe's in Game One. Game score, game score be damned. You, you think yeah. just just his mastery of the strike zone? Oh, I mean, it was. Just, I mean, that was easily my favorite game to watch of the uh, of the entire division series. Now, what if he does yeah. that against your Yankees in this upcoming series? I will say, hey, do that in pinstripes next year. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Cameron, let's let's uh, move to this next uh, set of to the championship series here. Uh, we have two series. Let's start. Let's start with that Yankee Texas series, and uh, you know, look at what we have going on there. I mean, maybe Cliff Lee is part of your storyline, or or if not, what it what is what is the storyline for you for that series? Well, I think Cliff Lee will probably be the main storyline simply based on how he pitched against the Yankees last year and what he did in the division series. But I think people need to remember that uh, the Rangers need to win two games that Cliff Lee doesn't start at the very minimum. Uh, they might need to win three or maybe even four if, uh, if the Rangers lose the game that Cliff Lee starts. So, uh, it's, you know, more likely that the series will be decided when Cliff Lee is not on the hill, which, uh, Joe Paul will be happy to hear that I agree he will play into the Yankees' favor. But I, I think CJ Wilson and, uh, Colby Lewis are good arms and there's some, you know, Darren Oliver's a good reliever. They've got some good pitchers on the staff. Um, so I don't necessarily see that it's going to be a, a Yankee thumping, especially if they can win the two games that we start. Can they win two out of six with C.J. Wilson, uh, Colby Lewis, and Tommy Hunter? I think they might be able to. Yeah, well, Colby Lewis, I think uh, we can all count on to be dominant. Um, this is if I may editorialize there briefly. Clausen, for, the, for that series, what's, uh, what's exciting for you from it? You can remember, it's going to be boring whether you agree or disagree, so no <laughs> Right. Um Obviously, the matchup thing, I mean, there's intrigue. I don't know how exciting it is. There's intrigue because since the the Rangers got pushed to five, now Lee gets pushed back a day, which doesn't put him against Sabathia. Uh, you know, does that play into the Yankees' hands a little bit? Um, I'm not sure that it does that much because Lee is uh, a, a great pitcher. I think Sabathia uh, is weirdly maybe become a little bit uh, among... Uh, "Quote unquote us, the save metric tried a little bit underrated because uh, if you just look at this year, he hasn't been quite as awesome relative to the run environment. Uh, but he's still been one of the best pitchers in baseball in the last three years. I don't think he's quite on the same level as, as Lee and Halliday, but he's right in the next one. Uh, what's intriguing for me is to see how much the Yankees. Uh, well, it's not intriguing. Bats come not so much intriguing is interesting is how much the Yankees bats come around. I mean, do we really think that Teixeira and A Rod have are really?" Uh, not bad isn't the word, but it's are are all of a sudden you know like 850 OPS hitters, or are they still the same guys in the past? What's and what's exciting is that both these parks are uh, home run parks. In fact, I was just looking at uh, Stat Corner's updated park factors, uh, and, and Yankee Stadium is more of a home run park than uh, uh, than the ballpark in Arlington. It, although it's Fairly neutral in terms of run environment, whereas the the Rangers the Rangers home park is a, is is overall a, a, a hitter's park. It, it uh, that'll be interesting for people like Phil Hughes, who's right, a, so Phil Hughes. Big time, a big time fly ball guy. And we were talking about beforehand. Uh, you know, I, I thought. And I mean, obviously, he was great at Yankee Stadium. I was thinking that maybe it would be a good idea to pitch him when they're in Minnesota uh, instead, to so that. Uh, 
because that depresses uh, home runs on fly balls, and that might help him out a little bit. Obviously, it didn't matter. I mean, retrospectively, it, it went fine for him. So I don't think there's it, there's that much advantage to having him pitch in either Yankee Stadium or uh, or or the ballpark because of his uh, because they're going to increase home runs on fly balls anyway. I think that the, what's interesting to me is what is is that the New York just I think the pitching is actually fairly evenly matched overall. Uh, I think Texas has a slight edge in terms of their top three starters. I think that Lewis is ma- mainly because uh, I do think Lee is a little bit better than CeCe. I don't think the gaps, that's not the matchup, but in terms of the, the starters, I think there's the big gap is between, I think there's, I think Lewis is, is I mean, I, 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 this is the question. I think Lewis is actually a, a bit be- is better than Hughes. I mean, and I'm not trying to put down Phil Hughes as a good young pitcher. I think Lewis this year, and I think there's reason to think that his true talent is better. And the question, I guess, to you, Carson, is: Are you still going to be able to be if everyone if everyone realizes how good Colby Lewis is? Is he still going to be your guy? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, there's uh, there are a number of uh, factors to consider there. But I, I mean, the, you know, let's just let's just. Um, Focus on the magic of 2010. You know what I mean, and then uh, you know next year's a, another year, and uh, we can uh, we can review this situation. Then uh, I want to go to Joe Paul. Joe Paul, first, uh, pronounce uh, CC's last name for me. Sabathia. Sabathia. Okay. Klaus, do you have that? Sabathia. Sabathia. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. Sometimes we just see these things in print, and uh, we don't always necessarily um, watch the games, especially not at the games, because that would be a violation of sabermetric code. Um, Secondly, uh, Phil Hughes, as a as a Yankees fan or you know analyst, would you rather him see uh, see him pitch in Texas, where you know even though uh, home runs um, you know maybe occur there at an above average rate, they probably don't occur there at the same rate as they do at the new Yankee Stadium. Um, it's funny you ask this question, Carson, because eight minutes ago I had a post go live on River Ave Blues addressing this exact question. <laughs> uh, wow, this is a shocking development. <laughs> Uh, the idea is that uh, I, I like Pettit pitching in Houston in, um, in Texas better for a couple of reasons. You know, one because of the experience in the playoffs. Two because I think uh, at this point in their careers, Andy Pettit is a better pitcher. Um, but there's there's the other reason. You know, a lot of people. Uh, I, I will call out John Heyman here because he put it out there uh, earlier today. Uh, was saying that you know, oh, Phil Hughes is allowed zero earned runs in 15 innings in Texas. Well, I mean, those innings came over the course of the last four years, and only one of them came this year. So, I mean, there's zero predictability in that. Uh, so we can toss that right out the window. That shouldn't even be remotely enter anyone's mind when analyzing when he should pitch. Uh, what turned me, what really turned me definitively towards Pettit in Game 2, is that uh, the Rangers' right-hand batters tend to hit lefties and righties um, in about almost exactly the same slash lines, and I know Clausen will disagree with the 2000. The 2010 is not a constant, uh, but you know, without going through the individual hitters, it looks like there's not too much of an advantage to them throwing two lefties down in Texas. Uh, and I like lining up uh, Pettit for a possible Game Seven, unless they go with CC on three days rest. Okay. Uh, and and are those, is that the? I mean, I guess seeing, seeing as you just wrote a, sort of an article about, it, is that the story for you? Is the order in which the Yankees throw their starters? Yeah, I, I, unless there's something about Sabathia we don't know. Unless they're really concerned about his workload, uh, pitching him in games one, four, and seven just seems to make all the sense in the world because uh, it really. It, I think that would give. The, it's not what I think; it's what it does. It does give the Yankees uh, a pitching advantage, I think, over Texas, uh, whereas. 
the stats might be even otherwise. Okay, and on a scale cool. of one to infinity, how afraid are you uh, of Colby Lewis as a as a Yankees fan? Sorry, sorry, Carson. It's uh, <laughs> it's down to single digits. You're not that afraid. Oh, okay, interesting. Not that afraid. Uh, that's uh, it discredits you immediately. Obviously. Uh, now to the other series, San Francisco, Philadelphia. Uh, you know what interests you there? What interests me there is how uh, is how the uh, the Phillies offense is going to fare against the uh, the Giants pitching. It's pretty clear that the Phillies have a uh, a much better offense than the Giants do. Uh, They went through a kind of strange progression this year. I remember checking them out in May, and they were, you know, right behind the Diamondbacks as far as you know most runs per game. And then they slumped a bunch, and I still finished like third in the NL uh, in runs per game. So, you know, it's uh, I think that slump kind of skewed the overall season numbers. I think their offense uh, is probably one of the best, possibly the best, if not you know definitely top two. Offenses in the league, and it'll be interesting to see how their hitting fares against the Giants pitching because I don't think the Giants pitching uh, hitting is going to fare at all well against the Phillies pitching. Well, you know, uh, you could call it a slump. You could also call it Wilson Valdez. I, I yeah, believe he's accumulated something like 300 plate appearances this year, filling in for uh, Chase Utley, Jimmy Rollins, and Placido Polanco. Uh, he's a, he's a one man slump really for a team. Clausen, uh, Philadelphia, San Francisco. I think that <laughs> well, it'll be interesting with it, if it gets one thing. It'll be interesting is if it gets if it's tight early on, or if Philadelphia uh, gets down. If it, if they'll pitch Halliday on three days rest, um, if, if on the I would say slim chance that Philadelphia gets up two games to one or something like that. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is that I mean Lincecum's going to be great. I mean, he is a great pitcher. We don't know what he's going to do. Uh, no matter where he pitches, is how he'll be uh, pitching in Philadelphia, uh, where which I mean, at San Francisco is a great park for him because he's a fly ball pitcher. And I hate to keep going back to this theme; it's just uh, really caught my attention lately. Obviously, well, home runs, I mean, home runs are are valuable. Well, home runs are home runs are valuable. San Francisco's a good park for it, but Philly isn't going to give him that same. The, 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 the Phillies home park where he's going to be pitching game one against Holiday isn't going to give him that kind of uh, isn't going to give him as much uh, wiggle room. I mean, home runs. He's not, not a fly ball pitcher though. To Lincecum? No. Burn. Uh, What's it? What are we it, talking it, about for ground ball rates for Lincecum? He's like forty-five percent for his career. Oh yeah, and uh, that's also Clausen typing wildly on his computer. Yeah. I would say the only problem with your argument is that it's not true. Oh crap! I was looking at the. That's right. I was looking at the wrong line. That's uh, embar- very embarrassing. Yeah. Maybe well, we edit this I'm not sure if it's. Yeah, let's let's edit that out because I've been I have been looking at the wrong line. I was no, no, I was we're surprised. Not, I'm not editing that out at all. Oh uh, no, god! Because I, I was really surprised when I saw it. I realized, going, well, I didn't. God, that's that sucks. Well, Cameron, why isn't the. Uh, 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 let's come. Why? I mean, I guess. I guess. What? What are sort of the components factored into his ground ball rate? Is it the changeup? Is it his yeah, fastball? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the changeup. I know, like uh, most pitchers get a lot of ground balls on their sink on their sinkers. Lincecum doesn't really throw a lot of sinkers. His fastball, he does spot up in the zone, but that his changeup is legitimately one of the five or six best in baseball, and he throws it a lot. I think it's thirty percent changeup usage, and so when they do get their bats on it. They're usually out in front and they roll it over. And so he's not a dominant ground ball guy. He's not a Halliday or something. But he's an above average ground baller basically because of that changeup. Yeah. And yeah. No, I, I would have really, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm, I've been, I have my dashboard. I have it set up 
and I and I've been looking at the ground ball line. I thought it was the fly ball line. We're yeah, I was so shocked when I saw it. I was like, why did that's no. So Cameron, I don't know if the numbers bear this out or not, but is is it the case that Linscombe was going to a slider quite a bit more? He, he used it more than he has before, and I think part of that is because the Braves saw him a couple times this year, and he just killed them with their changeups. So the scouting report on them. Um, from Atlanta, then was look for the change. So we started mixing in the slider, but the change is still fetched by uh, quite a lot. Right, and is this a sort of pitch where he can just tell the batter that it's coming, and the the batter's helpless anyway? Yeah, I mean it's one of those things where I think people have had this perception of the changeup as a oh it's a deception pitch where they think it's a fastball so they swing early but changeups like Lincecum's aren't like that at all. It's basically a 82 mile an hour split finger fastball that falls off the table and you know with the fading movement that it has it's really hard to hit even if you know it's coming. I mean is that is it online with the the changeup that Pedro used to throw? It's not quite that good, but it's up there as the best in baseball. It's in the discussion for the best in baseball right now. I mean, it's it's really, really good. Pedro's changeup might have been the best ever, but uh, it's in the tier below that. Okay. And then, uh, I mean, moving on to this uh, this particular series we're discussing, um, is it for you, is it a, is it a question of the, the Giants pitching versus the Philadelphia offense, um, you know, like, uh, like Klaassen suggested, or is it... Um, or is it something else? Uh, yeah, so for me, I think like uh, the, I mean, the Giants' offense is really bad. I mean, I guess that's the thing I didn't totally understand about Joe and Matt's responses about the first round. Is so you know the Giants clearly outclassing the Braves. The Giants scored eight runs in four games. Like that was not a very impressive offensive performance against you know the Braves' pitching staff is decent, but it's not the Phillies' pitching staff. And so uh, I don't really expect the Giants to put up a whole lot of a fight in the series. I think the Reds had a better chance of beating the Phillies than the the Giants do. Um, you know, maybe that means the Giants are going to sweep in four because I can't get anything right this postseason. But I expect the Phillies to kind of roll in the series. Okay. Uh, well, uh, now that you've uh, uh, belittled um, uh, Clausen and Joe Paul, uh, you know, to uh, you know sufficiently, and uh, now that Clausen has uh, spent an entire pod apologizing, um, I think that what that means is that the pod is over. Uh, we've sort of fulfilled all, all the necessary criteria of uh, that we've. Uh, Established for ourselves uh, previous episodes. So, um, uh, if there are no objections, uh, we will bring this to a close. Uh, but now, without saying goodbye to our uh, willing and/or unwilling uh, participants, let's start. Uh, we'll go youngest to oldest this time. We'll start with Joe Paul calling from the big, big city. Joe Paul, thank you for joining us. Oh, Carson, thank you for inviting me. Hey, you know, I like how you said that. You sounded really enthusiastic about it. So I've experienced doing this kind of thing. Let that be noted. Uh, uh, second uh, youngest slash oldest, however you want to phrase it, is uh, calling from the American South, the full-time employee, Dave Cameron. Thank you, sir. Are we, are we actually sure that Joe is younger than me? Uh, no, no, no. Birth certificate war. Uh, we can do that. Uh, that'll be the next part. will be dedicated to that entirely. Uh, and then to uh, uh, the elder, the elder member of the uh, pod, Matt Clausen, um, and obviously senile. Yes, yeah, senile. Did you want to apologize for your presence on the pod? Uh, no, I think uh, I fully stand by my idiocy. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, at least you're, uh, you take pride in that. Uh, and uh, last, um, and maybe least, uh, I have been and will continue to be Carson Stooley, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.